On GDC Podcast Episode 12, we have Greg Haynes, Lead Games User Researcher at the Able Gamers Charity, to talk about how to make games more accessible to people with disabilities, misconceptions about accessibility in games, and much more. This podcast was recorded live during GDC Summer 2020. Back in a sec. everybody <laughs> this is the first uh game developers conference podcast live i am chris graff editor-in-chief of gamma sutra and uh i'm here with Alyssa. hi i'm Alyssa. i'm the news editor and associate publisher at gamma sutra and i'm really weirded out by doing this on video <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is weird we don't usually like we see each other um you know just like in meetings and stuff like that but um, now I'm, it's, it's like I'm actually talking to you. And the art of like face to face conversations yeah. um, is, it's rusty for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just talk each other through it. Yeah. So, so this is actually episode 12 of the podcast. So that means that's like, it's like one, we do one a month. It's like one year for a year. Like one, <laughs> this is one year of, one year of <laughs> podcasting. So uh, I, let's just let's just do the uh, hey, how's your show going? It's going great. Um, been very busy. It's uh, amazing that an uh, online event can kind of capture that same kind of like I'm constantly behind feeling as uh, the regular GDC does for me. Uh, I'm bad at scheduling, <laughs> so it's on it's on me. But like, it's about the same kind of like heart rate throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing too, though, is that if you're running late for something, it's not like oh, I'm in Moscone West and I need to be in South. Yeah. You don't it have to power like, log up an escalator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then show up at like the session completely like sweaty and stuff. So um, although I'm getting a little sweaty from this, uh, you know. But... <laughs> That's the anxiety of podcasting, live <laughs> podcasting. We can't edit this. I don't know about that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this is edit. This is edit free. So if you ever listen to the GDC podcast on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and uh, YouTube when we feel called? like it. Yeah, YouTube when yeah, we feel yeah. like it, Google Play. Um, you, you can go check us out there, but yeah, you'll find out just how much editing <laughs> goes into this. <laughs> no, we um, always 100% flawlessly execute our sentences. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's always first take. Um, so I'm also noticing this that uh, there are people in chat, which I didn't even consider uh, that in the swap card app. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is totally a recording. Uh, no, it's, it's not really. <laughs> this is actually live. Uh, so hello, everybody in chat. This is totally new for us. Thanks for uh, coming on here. Uh, yeah, I'll try not to look at that and uh, look at that too much. So we actually have an amazing guest here. Do you think that we should? Yeah, we have no here? GDC announcements to do because GDC is a no, bonus, we so we can get right to the meat. <laughs> uh, now, here we are. Um, we do have a guest. And, and we're excited. Uh, so I, I'm going to uh, to uh, introduce here. So you're ready? <laughs> so, <laughs> no edits. Do it live. Okay. Our next guest is lead games user researcher at the Able Gamers Charity. He has a bachelor's in psychology. I don't have that. 
was a research assistant in the Lieber Center for Schizophrenia at the New York State Psychiatric Institute for six years. That's a mouthful. And it sounds prestigious. He's <laughs> uh, an, uh, an advocate for accessibility in the game industry, and he's led talks, workshops, and consultations with tech companies that you might have heard of. Google, Oculus, Avalanche, Activision, and there's also Microsoft, where he worked. Uh, he did some consulting on the uh, Xbox Adaptive Controller, which is a super cool thing. Uh, so let's go ahead and and bring him on right about now and unmuted. Let's welcome Greg Haynes. Yeah. <laughs> that that was an intro and a half. Like I, I I don't even know what to say after that. I should just like leave right now. Yeah, thank you yeah, so we, much for that intro. That was great. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. That's that's what we like to do. Uh, All the fanfare right away. Mm -hmm. Poppers in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then just bring the person on and just make them super duper humble. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. All My right. Ego is well, expanding as we speak. I know you seem <laughs> very cocky. Did we miss any notable achievements? Anything else you want to kind of brag about a little bit? Or? I mean, I think you got it outside of my social security number. I think you got my entire history. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was... What is that then? Uh, no, don't, don't, the closing do comments, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, like, accessibility, uh, that's a, a topic in games. That's a very important one. Uh, you personally, what prompted your interest in game accessibility? Why are you such a big advocate for that? Um, that's a really, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, for starters, uh, just coming out of the, uh, the, the farmer research realm, I really wanted to combine my love for gaming and my love for psychology and, and helping people essentially find well-being through, um, gaming experiences. Uh, and, uh, I happened to, to meet, uh, the, uh, the founder and executive director, uh, Mark Barlet and, uh, our, uh, our director of community, Craig Kaufman. Um, at a convention a few years ago and uh, we just hit it off and you know when they were talking to me about game accessibility I was like this is it like this is the way that I can combine those two loves like at the end of the day being knowing how ga important games are to me and and seeing uh, the impact that gaming has made on my life and the connections I've been able to make uh, whether it was content creation or, or, or making like lifelong friends uh, you know I felt that there, if there's a community out there that's unable to experience that for whatever reason, and I can change that somehow, then it, then it was my, my, my duty and my calling, if, if you will, to, to, to indulge that. Didn't that's get into it reason. in your intro, but uh, how long have you been with Able Gamers now? I've been with Able Gamers since the beginning of 2018. Since the beginning of 2018. So two years? You've done a Even lot though, in like only a couple of years. <laughs> I mean, you have to factor in pandemic time too. So it's been roughly yeah. 15 years. Yeah, I'm running up my pension right now. It's, it's, it's looking good. It's good for your boy. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now, before we get more into it, you know, sure. there, there is a lot of talk about accessibility in games, but it's kind of a word that's thrown a, around a lot and maybe not everybody quite understands what it means. So as an expert in this field, uh, what does accessibility mean to you? How do you define that? Oh, uh, you know, I think accessibility, you're right, because th there's definitely, you definitely see accessibility used in the context of like, is this game something that the consumer will enjoy? Um, but in terms of uh, game accessibility and uh, essentially uh, opening up the, the, the gaming sphere for people with disabilities, we're talking about being able to remove barriers to play. Um, 
for anyone, right? It's not even just people with disabilities. It's anyone who might have a barrier um, to play. Um, and it, it goes from being able to boot up a game and being able to just interact with the game. And we'll talk more about that later. Um, and also being able to encounter the, the challenges uh, that you encounter in a game and being able to surpass those challenges to make progress, um, to ultimately have a fulfilling experience, an experience that you want to have. Um, so I, I, I guess in short, game accessibility is really being able to break down the barriers uh, to play um, as you engage with the, these game worlds that uh, uh, creators are creating. I feel like I'm stealing this, uh, this phrasing from somewhere I read recently, but there's like the idea that game design is like creating barriers for people. This might have been like something I read in your bio and then just like repurposing it. But like, uh, so how do you kind of coach people through or work with like devs who are think accessibility might be at odds with like creating challenge or something along the way? Yeah, that's a that's a huge, huge issue, because what you're talking about there is like the perception of game difficulty. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we've seen that debate play out time and time again, just in the past few years of like what makes this game like I want to make this game hard. Like, is it does that mean it's not accessible? Um, and there's there's sort of a, a misconception, I think, within the community uh, that anybody asking for accessible features wants their game to be easy. And I think that's that's sort of a, a disservice to uh, the experience that anybody who plays a game wants to have. And, and that's that we all, including people with disabilities, including what I've seen in the research that we've done with Able Gamers, um, the, the disabled community does want challenge in their games. Um, mm -hmm. They don't want their games to be easy per se, but challenge is relative, right? Like what's hard for me might not be hard for you, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, it's being, it's being able to tune the challenges that they encounter in games in order to be able to surpass those barriers and again, to make progress. Um, so when it comes to uh, game difficulty, you know, uh, simply, you know, talking about easy mode or, you know, uh, having a mode that's, you know, explore mode or whatever it, it, it may be, isn't it's not the entirety of the conversation. It's, it, it could be part of it, but I think game difficulty and challenge really, uh, really amounts to, to having the options to tune challenge to the way you need it to be so that you're getting the right amount of, uh, I guess, resistance to your progress, but mm -hmm. not so that it's just this thing that you're not able to enjoy because what's unique to games versus like, let's say like web accessibility, right? Like web accessibility, you don't want interaction with the website to be hard, right? Mm -hmm. When you jump on amazon.com, you don't want to be, you know, and you put like, I don't know, like anything in, in your car. I'm going to say Capri Suns because I was just talking about that today. I just bought yeah. some Capri Suns. Get out of my car. I don't want a challenge when, when I order some Capri Suns. I don't want like a, a, a an Amazon, you know, a gremlin to pop out. Well, then maybe like, you're not a challenge. true gamer. <laughs> I mean, I, and, you know, we laugh about it, but that's kind of yeah. the argument that that's out there, right? Which is yeah. like, you know, you won't you're not a gamer if you don't want some sort of challenge. And, and at the end of the day, it's relative. Some people want different things. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about when we talk about like game accessibility in the context of challenges, being able to create the environment, the challenge environment that you want to create. And that doesn't mean that the current means of, of game difficulty don't exist, right? Like you can still have your, your hardest hardcore modes, but how I play doesn't affect how the next person plays and how the, the person after that plays. Um, yeah. So in terms of coaching, uh, you know, through coaching developers in terms of the conversation around difficulty, it's really about presenting options for people. Um, you know, it, it's, we kind of have this, this, this concept in the community where, you know, people want to marshal over the way other people play. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, are you in my house playing a game? Like what, how do you, <laughs> yeah. what, what does it matter to you how I'm playing the game? Now, 
again, it, when you're talking about things like multiplayer, right? Like that's where something where, you know, you might think, well, what if it's easy for this person and I'm playing on the hardest mode or whatever? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, there's there's optional matchmaking. There's things where, and we call that house rules in the Able Gamers community, you know, where you can tune the rules for online engagement so that you're playing with other people who want to play the same way that you want to play. Um, so there's there's definitely a multitude of answers uh, for something like yeah. that. But I think I think game difficulty is a, a contentious uh, conversation to have. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's it's like let people game the way they want to game. Do you think it's fair to put it like this? Like um, it's about giving access to a wide range of people with different abilities, giving them access to the challenges that the game designers intended question mark (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's i don't think again you know i don't think game developers need to change their vision per se right what yeah that's that's, yeah that's right that's what i mean that's exactly what you're Mm -hmm. saying right like you Mm -hmm. can keep the same world that you want to create just Mm -hmm. allow people to tune the elements of it that they want because ultimately Mm -hmm. if you know we look at the current landscape of game difficulty right let's say you have your standard easy medium hard right if I want to play on hard mode, I'm going to play on hard mode. If you're going to play on easy mode, you're going to play on easy mode. Um, and the interesting thing about it is, you know, I always, I always kind of talk to people about this, which is as a gaming community, as a community, we accept whatever definitions a developer has determined for easy, medium, medium, hard. We accept it outright. Like we just mm-hmm. choose one of those and we just go with it. And we don't really question what that is, right? Because easy in, in, in one game isn't necessarily easy in another game. You know, there are different factors at play. Um, and, and what we're asking here is, is really to have the ability to, to, to edit those things. Like you see like sliders in games like uh, um, uh, The Last of Us Part Two um, yeah. had difficulty sliders or challenge sliders. Uh, Tomb Raider is another uh, franchise that's, that lately has been doing those difficulty sliders that allow people to tune what aspects of the game they want to be more difficult or mm-hmm. less challenging. And ultimately, like it, again, if you want to default to easy medium hard, which those modes also, which those games also have. They also have those default modes that are developer sort of determined. You could jump into that and you can play those modes if you want. But if you want the other way of, of going about it, then you can do that too. And, and as a community, like we all, like we always see talks about options. Like we all mm-hmm. want options, consumer options. Like yeah. it is consumer friendly and, and frankly, it's good usability to give a user options in terms of how they want to engage with the content you're presenting. No one's going to be hurt by like having more options and more ways to choose how they want their experience to be. (laughs) Except the so-called marshals that that I I mentioned earlier, you know, people that are trying to to govern how I want to interact with the game. Uh, This Uh, is kind of like what you guys have done with the accessible.games. Is there a fancier name for that? Probably that I'm getting wrong. No, that's, that's the name of the site. Uh, It's a really cool portal. (laughs) I I covered it when you guys launched it at first. And there's just like so much like free accessible information about accessibility there and how devs can like roll that into their games. Um, How involved were you in the creation of that? Is it like your baby or? Uh, Is it my baby? Um, Wow. Now we're, now we're getting into legality (laughs) and child support (laughs) questions. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it is, you know, it is, it is our team's baby. Did I have a role in it? Yes. I had a, a very big part in at Accessible.Games, uh, including the Accessible Player Experience uh, design tool um, that we created. Um, based, it's based on user research, based on this uh, program. Uh, research from this program um, we have called Player Panels, uh, which is uh, an, an assemblage of people with disabilities, players with disabilities who have provided feedback about 
uh, the way they want to play with games. Um, and we turn those into uh, to design patterns that speak a lot about what I'm speaking about right now, um, where it, it operates on an access level, which is getting people around what's called the, uh, the player feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, access barriers stop people from interacting with the game and taking out information from the game. And access solutions would help you navigate those barriers. And then on the second level, challenge, um, which is essentially what I mentioned earlier, helping people progress through the game, helping people uh, not just encounter some of the, the some of the uh, challenges they might have in like combat or progression, but also emotional challenges, right? Like sometimes they might be content that you can't engage with. Um, a great example of that is, you know, you see gore settings in games. Uh, mm -hmm. You see games that sometimes allow you to turn off uh, mature language. Um, so anything on that level operates in the challenge sphere. And anything that allows people to get through that cycle, get through that player feedback loop and subsequently progress through the game is what we would call an accessible player experience. Um, so all of that is, is on accessible.games, including, uh, you know, anyone who might have a disability who plays games, who wants to be part of the player panels program. Um, currently, we have registration halted uh, due to COVID-19. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we usually have a portal there for people to be able to register and sign up for that program, which is currently sitting at about 600 players. Um, nice. And right now, thank you. And uh, right now in the works, uh, we have a research portal that we're trying to, to set up that'll show some of the research studies that we are, we've already come out with and just have it housed there in one spot so that mm -hmm. any developer can come and, and check out some of the work we've done. I do want to go over I'd here like and, uh, and uh, look at chat real quick because uh, some people are using the uh, the question function, and oh. uh, yeah, let's uh, let's <laughs> ask this one uh, from Misha Samoradin. And sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, how much do you advocate for accessibility with people with autism and Asperger's? Is there funding opportunities for those wanting to create experiences for this audience? Do you have any insight on that, Greg? So just, just so I'm clear, uh, funding opportunities for anyone wanting to do development uh, for uh, neurodiverse folks. And what was the other part? What was the first part of the question? Um, how much do you advocate for accessibility for, uh, for those types of situations? Sure. So, I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we kind of have to get to a point where we're respecting and acknowledging um, both the physical side of, of disabilities and also the, the, the cognitive and mental side of disabilities as well. So I very much, we very much advocate for uh, not just addressing some of the physical barriers that people might have to play, um, but also some of the cognitive barriers, some of the mental health barriers um, that folks have to play. Um, you know, we, we're speaking about challenge. A lot of the sort of interactional barriers that get in the way of progress usually happen for a lot of, a lot of folks who, uh, you know, have mental health difficulties or are neurodiverse. People with physical disabilities experience that as well, but that is something that certainly uh, operates for, for folks who have, you know, uh, those mental difficulties, as well as access issues too. Sometimes, you know, you're looking at a game, you're just like, there's too much information here. You know, I might have a learning disability and I might need to turn off some of the information because it's coming at me too, too much. There's too much coming at me at once. So I think uh, very much so we should, we should keep in mind that it's not just about people who have physical disabilities. Um, it's also about folks who, uh, you know, maybe have a disability that you can't physically, you know, uh, see or, or comprehend um, without talking to them. Um, in terms of funding opportunities, that's a really great question. I don't personally know if there are any funding opportunities, um, like grants, I, I, I assume the person is, is talking about. 
Um, I don't think there, I don't know if there are any funding opportunities in that respect. That's not really my uh, area of expertise. Um, but, uh, you know, I can say that, you know, there, there's a sizable population of people with mental health difficulties that could benefit from, from games uh, being more inclusive in that respect. Um, and uh, that is, that's even a, a population that's represented in our player panels program um, because it's important for us to, to, to cover the full landscape of, of disability. Um, which is very much inclusive of, of um, people who have uh, neurodiverse diagnoses and, and mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm a small game developer, I don't have a lot of time and resources, uh, like, and I'm just like, you know what, accessibility just isn't a priority for me. Uh, do you have, you know, an argument, you know, that, that counters that? Yeah, I mean... Uh... That's one of those tough ones where where, where you hear it, you, you you kind of rage inside because it's like, oh. like Sorry, there's 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 always time, you know what I mean? I mean, but I but I understand that, that where yeah. they're coming from, and 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 to that I'll say, um, that's part of the work that as an organization we're trying to do, um, where we're trying to in, inform the community uh, about ways that they can uh, move accessibility to the to the earlier stages of development. Um, the accessible player experience uh, design patterns that I uh, mentioned earlier, they're available for free on uh, accessible.game/apx. Um, it's something that you can view freely, and what it does is it presents accessibility problems that people might uh, encounter um, in a problem-solution format. So, um, let's say, for example, uh, we have a design pattern called Second Channel, right? So, one of the problems, or the problem for Second Channel, is people can't take in the information you're trying to. To, to relate to them through the particular modality that you've chosen, right? So that's a lot of words. And when you hear that, you're like, what is this dude talking about? But <laughs> a, a great example might be like uh, the information in a cutscene, right? Let's say like, you know, uh, voiceovers in a cutscene, right? So that's one modality. You're presenting a cutscene visually and you're presenting uh, the audio in that cutscene cut through, you know, one means audio channel. So a way to articulate a cutscene, or at least the dialogue coming from a cutscene, another modality or channel would be to have subtitling. That way there's now a visual visual modality in addition to that audio modality. Um, you know, when we're talking about visual, sometimes we'll see uh, some game trailers, um, like Everwild I think had a game trailer uh, where it was completely in audio descriptions. So like mm -hmm. the trailer was presented visually, but the, the, the whole thing was audio described. So someone who has a visual disability, visual disability, could perceive the entire thing, you know, from that perspective. So um, what those design patterns do is they identify a problem like that and they present a solution, which is present information through additional modalities. So by tuning a developer's thought processes that way, it helps them think about game mechanics that they might want to implement in their game early on and some of the barriers or problems that people with disabilities might encounter. Um, so. The idea there is you're able to think about disability while without thinking about specific diagnoses, right? You're able to come out a few levels and think, okay, how might someone who has a visual disability deal with this feature that I'm including in this game? How might somebody with an auditory disability encounter this feature uh, that I have in the game? How about a physical disability? Um, and so on and so forth. Um, so that was really important to us to be able to create this resource because um, Currently, every, a lot of the, the industry is guideline focused and guidelines aren't, they're not a bad thing. They're really useful uh, for checking once you've created a game, right? Like it's mm -hmm. really helpful to be like, okay, I've got this feature. 
check check mark it's great but the the difficulty with, with uh guidelines is they don't really tell you how to do it or how to do it well right they don't tell you how you're supposed to implement yeah. a feature it just tells you that you should have it there are best practices that are you know guidelines can be inclusive of but ultimately they they get so robust right like you know current guidelines right now like they sit at you know, you're talking about dozens and dozens of options that you have to make sure are in your game without telling you how to implement that. And it becomes more of game. like a checklist than like design decisions at that point is what it sounds like. Right, exactly. So with, with APX and, and the way that we're trying to shift design thinking is we're trying to think of the person first versus the, te- versus the technology. We're trying to put the human being first. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially with, with APX, you're thinking about problems or barriers that people might encounter and in the process of developing your game, thinking about solutions that help you ideate, but don't tell you how to design your game. It tells you what barriers might, people might encounter and allows developers to think reflexively, right? And ultimately, what, is it, what it does is it encourages generative design. Um, so in terms of uh, you know, smaller developers, that's sort of one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is the financial aspect of it. Um, you know, people with disabilities in the United States um, have about $21 billion in discretionary income, right? That's like after they've paid their bills and they're like, yo, this is, this is party time money. What do I have? What, what can I spend it on? It's $21 billion. And to put that into perspective, that's more than the black community and Hispanic communities combined. Black community has about 3 billion. The Hispanic community has about 16 billion in discretionary income. So there's a financial factor to that as well. And with 46 million potential players with disabilities in the United States, you're talking about a huge player base that you can tap tap into as a smaller developer. Um, and there are other examples of, of independent independent developers, uh, including accessibility in their games. You know, you've got, you've got Celeste, uh, Infernium, Way of the Passive Fist, uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, uh, Hyperdot. There's like a, a bevy of games there now, including that. And ultimately the industry is changing. Um, the industry is changing. And uh, if you're not able to adapt, you know, people aren't going to be able to play your game. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's sort of the decision you have to make. Um, and I, it, it's tough to, to think about it this way, but not every single game is always going to be accessible, but we have to start somewhere. We have to start thinking about things like subtitling. We have to start thinking about things like remapping because as with all technologies, we have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And there are too many people being left out to not even think about starting somewhere so that we can ultimately progress the industry to the place we need it to be. I know with uh, The Last of Us Part 2 had like that amazing array of just accessibility options focused at so many different areas of need. And um, they talked about how it started with the Uncharted game that I don't remember the number of uh, prior to that. And they're like, oh, these are foundations we set up by building accessibility options into this game. And then we were able to iterate on them and just build their feedback and just from already having those foundations laid, just accelerate this into this really cool thing. Right, so like right. just getting out there and doing the, even the, the basic so you can kind of learn and iterate and do more later on seems to be right. beneficial. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that point, I mean, um, you know, we talked about the player panels program, which a developer is free to submit a, a project to player panels. If you need feedback from players with disabilities, again, we have 600 players you could submit a project to. Let them let us know what type of feedback you want to you want to get from your game. The only thing we ask is that those players are compensated for their time. Um, you know, we have to set a minimum rate 
um, for the amount that players are paid. We don't take anything from that. It's completely you paying the players that are involved in it. And, you know, that minimum rate, you know, is, is at minimum, it's $10 for 20 minutes of work or $25 for an hour of work. So it's good if that you, you guys pay people for stuff like that, because there's a lot, yeah. Free labor I mean, it's not even us paying them. It's, it's the developer yeah. that can. But, you know, when it comes down to it, right, like, let's say you, you create a survey or a gameplay play session that's an hour long. And you're like, all right, you're like, I want to get 10 people with disabilities to give me feedback on their gameplay experience, right? Mm-hmm. $25 times 10 people is $250. You're talking about $250 for accessibility feedback at minimum, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, and, and again, going back to the numbers I said to you before, you're talking about tapping into $21 billion of discretionary income. So like you can make a small investment now to make your game more accessible. Yeah. And ultimately, you'll iterate and become better at that going forward, right? So, yeah. and again, the space is changing. Also, people our age, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I'm 30 years old. I want a game until like, until like the 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 the, the angels start singing for me. Like, I, I'm I'm <laughs> hopefully angels. Uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully that pitchforks, devils and pitchforks. Um, but you know, I'm trying to start. I'm trying to play for the rest of my life. But yeah. we all know that as time progresses, you have age-related disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. And even things that we don't often think about as disabilities, right? Your sight might go, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe your reflexes aren't as good, right? We're a, a, we're a huge gaming generation. Mm-hmm. When we're older, the industry, we want the industry to be able to cater to us. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be Zoomers that take over the gaming space and I'm like, hey, what about me? Like, I'm, try- <laughs> I'm a millennial, I'm trying to game too. Games are all I got. I'm broken, I got debt, I need games. You know, so like, it's, it's important for us to, to think about accessibility in that respect because mm-hmm. the industry is changing. Yeah. And I'm 40. So I've got like a decade on you. Uh, I'm going to be hitting those. Uh, I'm going to be needing some of that stuff. Uh, I'll tell you right now, you. You, you shocked the hell out of me when you told me you were 40 just now. Like I hit it well, like I internalized it. Oh, you know what, what? I did? I found out the video option in Zoom. I can uh, touch up. And- <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually just... The gray hair just goes away. <laughs> <laughs> the hair appears. Man, um, I need whatever lotion you got. Whatever you're using, man, let me get some of that. It's called half Filipino, I think. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'm going to go to chat real quick um, for Becky Grady getting a, a decent amount of likes on this question. So earlier you said no one's getting... No one's going to be hurt by more options. Um and Becky points out, in UX, though, there is often a balance of not making it too complicated or some maximum where it sure. could become too overwhelming to customize at all. How Absolutely. do you make sure you're providing the needed options without going so far that it's too hard to navigate? That is a well-thought-out question. Yeah, there. that's a wonderful question. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to, to player testing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want to bring in players that you can source this information with and obtain data. As a UX researcher, as a UX designer, you know that feedback is gonna be the way that uh, you, you obtain this information. And when it comes down to the menus and options that people are navigating on, you're right, like that can become overly complex very easily. Um, you know, I know for example, like sometimes, you know, you'll jump into like an MMO and the amount of menus you're presented with, it's like, fam, like I feel like I'm mm. doing my taxes right now. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Like there's a lot of terms and numbers here. so you know, the way to, to, to really navigate that is, is player testing and user testing. Um, ultimately, I can't tell you what the right menu settings are, but I sure can tell you that if you source about five to 10 people and you ask them questions about their experience navigating the menu, chances are 
you'll see certain issues rise to the top. You'll probably see the same five issues rise to the top in terms of uh, how people are, are navigating things. Um, and ultimately, when you source those questions, when you do that research, which also takes time and also takes resources, not trying to downplay that, but when you do that, when you take that time, you do that research, that's something that's gonna, gonna rise to the top. And ultimately player testing and user testing, that has to become a bigger part of the industry right now. Mm-hmm. It's, simply, it's simply, it's necessary um, because you're putting out a product and you don't know how people are going to feel about it if you're not testing it. Yeah. Just to kind of segue this into this question uh, from Gabe Poshner, or sorry, Posture, which probably is related to what you just said. Uh, you know, they ask, what do you recommend for projects that may not have even $250 for accessibility feedback? Is that just, you know, going to, you know, ha- having people do you a favor and play test your, your product, your game or something? Yeah, I mean, what I'll, what I'll say is, you know, first there are resources like accessible.games mm-hmm. to check out. Um, the other thing I'll say is there's plenty of, of, of news articles and things about uh, games that have a good, good accessibility features that you can check out. Uh, can I Play This um, is a great website that uh, talks about, um, you know, game accessibility in various games. Um, and you can use those games to help inform how you're going to design your game. Um, I'm not trying to make, this, make it seem like this is an easy thing to do. Um, but, you know, when I talk about there being $21 billion in discretionary income with people with disabilities. There being 46 million people with disabilities, uh, you know, in the, in the U.S. With, with the World Health Organization estimating that there are 2 billion people uh, in the, on the planet that identify as having disabilities. So that's not even counting people who don't identify as having disability. Um, you're talking about a, a huge uh, population that is going to want access to these experiences, especially as we, you know, we, we moved to almost 3 billion players uh, on the planet that play games. There's, you're bound to be overlapped with people who have disabilities um, as well. So, um, you know, really and truly what it is, is, is it's a value proposition. And, um, you know, when it comes to not having the resources to, to do something like that, I totally understand that. Um, but, you know, doing things like betas also help to get feedback as well, because you can see how people are interacting with your game. Um, but ultimately, time and research. In the same, day, in the same way that you've studied to do, uh, you know, to, to learn how to design a game, uh, accessibility is something that is, it's, 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 it's here to stay, it's happening. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, there are, are folks that have not realized that and are lagging behind. But we have things like the CVAA, um, the uh, 21st Century uh, Communications and uh, Video Accessibility Act. It's a mouthful. Um, that legally says that certain people need to have access to these experiences. Um, and other countries around the world, they're also starting to adapt things like that too. So it's, yeah. the landscape is changing from a legality perspective. perspective. It has changed from a financial perspective and the, the numbers of, of people that you can, uh, you know, potentially have access to has increased as well and continues to increase. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world is changing, the landscape is changing and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to do what we can as an organization, I mean, Able Gamers, to, yeah. to alleviate that. And that, that's part of the research that we're doing to try and put out there too, to change that landscape, because we know it's hard and we know it's yeah. difficult. Greg is going to come back with us and there's going to be two more Gamma Suture editors. Uh, it's really I'm, engaging I'm, banter about current game Yeah, events. yeah. <laughs> no, but we can, we can keep on talking to Greg too after yeah. that.
there should be. There's more people somewhere. <laughs> There's more people here now. Uh, <laughs> we decided that uh, Greg was too lonely. He needed to be <laughs> confronted by a total. So we're actually. Why we don't welcome. have repeat guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've got. We've got the uh, the normal uh, hoodlums from Gamma Sutra, uh, Bryant Francis. Hey, Bryant. Hi, I'm not a hoodlum. I'm a highwayman. You're all good. <laughs> and then uh, Alex Owaro. Hello, so, I'm dressed correctly. You nailed it. And here I am in standard hoodlum attire. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. I want to keep on talking to Greg because whatever about you guys. All right, so uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... but um, Greg, um, first of all, thanks for sticking around for the bean footage. Uh, for My still pleasure. Here. And My then, pleasure. Uh, but you announced something very developer centric, which I think would be appropriate for here. Uh, your yes. D-pad is what you yes. call it? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the D-pad initiative actually launched today. Um, stands for developers promoting accessibility and diversity uh, in the space. Um, and uh, really what D-pad is about, um, it's about giving people uh, free access to um, the Able Gamers Practitioner course. Um, so that's a course that we developed um, to fund our mission and also to teach developers um, about accessibility. Um, normally, the course is priced at $2,000 for a seat. Um, it's a two-day course, extensive course that goes into how to use the free tool that we present on uh, Accessible.Games, um, how to win uh, the, the, the sort of arguments around accessibility uh, in your uh, respective uh, you know, uh, companies, how to establish a culture and community of accessibility uh, in your companies and ultimately to just coalesce around more accessible design thinking, generative accessible design thinking. Um, mm-hmm. So D-pad is something that sort of emerged um, out of our, 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 our need to, to, to do something in a community um, to bring a, a improved inclusion in the space. Um, you know, this year in particular, um, we've seen so much happen um, from a diversity perspective that really reflects how far we need to go um, how far we've come, but also how much further we need to go in order to, to have an inclusive, safe, safe space, not just in the gaming community, but, you know, in the, the larger, uh, you know, environment as a whole and, and on our planet, in our country, in our planet, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the notion that Black Lives Matter, from the truth that Black Lives Matter, not even the notion, the truth that Black Lives do matter, um, the fact that there are, are trans, folk, trans folks uh, experiencing extreme violence and, and, and losing their lives because of, of their chosen identity, the, the things that we've seen women uh, have to endure in the gaming industry um, from a, a, a discrimination and from a uh, just inappropriate behavior standpoint. We realize that the, the only way to really, to really change the industry is to start changing it on the, on the developer side of things, to start changing those environments and ultimately create cultures there that are inclusive and hopefully make games that are inclusive and representative of the people that are playing these games, people of color, uh, people with disabilities, uh, women, uh, people that, you know, are, are members of the LGBTQIA community. Um, so with D-pad, we want to create an initiative where an initiative where we can essentially have developers who are interested in taking that course and learning about accessibility developers from diverse backgrounds, such as the one that I just mentioned, apply mm-hmm. to this course. Um, to apply to this program to be able to to, to join up and, and get um, a free session of the course. Um, so if you head over to ablegamers.org slash dpad, um, you'll find the application there. Um, you can submit an application, super short. Um, we want to keep it concise because uh, we realize people, people are about to spend two days with us potentially uh, doing this course. So we don't want to have you spend too long on the application. 
Um, and yeah, just, uh, just apply and join up. You have nothing to lose if you're, if you're from, you know, a, a marginalized group, uh, you know, apply. Um, we definitely want to see you and we definitely want to hear from you. Um, and, you know, yeah. from, from my experience, um, you know, as, as a black man in this environment, I realized that there, there's, so much, there's so much inequality and hatred towards groups that don't deserve it. Um, these are things that we can't change. And even if we could, we wouldn't. It's who we are. And I say we when I, when, you know, I speak about, you know, my blackness, you know, and obviously I don't want to speak for, for other groups that I don't necessarily identify as, but I know that we all are the way we want, we are. Um, and, and we, we embrace that and mm-hmm. it's the way it is. And we need to, to make sure that the community opens those doors um, for, for those people to feel welcome. Uh, this community is an amazing community, but it has an ugly side. The gaming community has an ugly side to it and we got to stomp that out. Like it's enough is enough already. So it's, we got to get rid of that. And I hope that that DPAC can start making, uh, you know, making that progress um, towards, towards alleviating some of the, 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 the biases that are in, uh, you know, the game development space um, and sort of improving the numbers so that there's less of the sameness that we currently see uh, in the gaming environment. Um, so that other voices can be elevated and other experiences can be, can be shared and told. Is there right. even anything else to be said? <laughs> We've got like eight <laughs> minutes left. And like, really that, is, that is straight up mic drop. And that's uh, beautiful. And, Thank you. you know, Thank you. To, it, it goes, you know, just the fact that, you know, the, uh, the concept of accessibility goes, you know, beyond just uh, a lot of people think, oh, um, you know, helping disabled people um, play games, which that's part of it. But uh, there's, it's, it's uh, woven into all the things that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and we, want, we want developers who have disabilities to, to apply to this program too, because that's mm-hmm. another stigma in the space right now, which is, oh, we don't know how to hire people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like there, there are plenty of people that are out there that have disabilities that want to be developers or want to work on the game, gaming side of things. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen Cherry Thompson, uh, you know, get get hired at Ubisoft, which is an amazing hire. Hi, Cherry, if you're listening. Uh, you know, so Cherry, you know, is an example of, of bringing uh, folks who have disabilities who are vocal about their disabilities, who are expressive about their disabilities and the experiences that the game industry needs to start, uh, like, changing their minds towards, uh, you know, hiring people that have these experiences. It's an important part of making sure that this this community can grow. Um, and, you know, and I'll be honest with you, too, like, it benefits these companies who are trying to make money to, 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 to have other people in the community. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's not an altruistic thing. I know to include other people, you know, in order to, to grow your, your business. So like it, it doesn't hurt anybody, but bigots, honestly. So more you know, perspectives make better games. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better, you know, and I, I hope to see that. I hope to see D-pad, you know, be the, uh, be the the starter for that in terms of what we could do on our end you know we're not we're not nike you know we can't give out a hundred million dollars towards a <laughs> towards a specific movement um because ultimately anybody who, who decides to support our organization uh you know they've chosen us to be custodians of of the money that they've given us um mm-hmm. and we feel as custodians a great way to support our mission is to train developers from diverse backgrounds in accessibility to, to ultimately uh help the community that that we set out to by starting Able Gamers in, and also to 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 grow the the space in terms of 
uh, a, a, a diverse, inclusive uh, perspective. On the topic of herding bigots, uh, I saw a great I saw a great talk <laughs> today at GDC Summer uh, that is a different tack and a different sphere, but I think uh, is sort of similar in some key points. Brenda Romero gave a talk this morning. I don't know if anybody caught it on hidden histories of women in computing. And a key point of that talk, which is gonna be available on the platform for everyone to watch uh, on demand if you missed it, is that uh, women are not fairly represented in leadership roles and in creative roles, both in tech and in games. And one of her key arguments was that, you know, having a mostly male dominated industry, a mostly white male dominated industry, creates a lot of situations where women are physically uncomfortable, whether it's cold offices or, you know, badly designed games or whatever. Uh, and so she basically made a big call for gender parity, um, making a good case that like basically the more diverse teams you have, the better games they're going to make because they're going to bring their own perspectives and their own experiences to the work. Uh, and it seems like we're seeing a lot of calls for that across the industry. And it's great. Let's just keep doing it. Let's just keep never stop. Yeah, we got to We got to keep that same heat that we had, you know, when we saw everything happen with George Floyd, when we saw him. We saw the brutality that was shown towards a human being, and we all started recognizing that. When we see all the, the people uh, in the industry being outed for their behavior towards women, like that heat that we have right now about trying to improve that, like if this hasn't changed a year from now, we got to have that same fire because every time we let up, every time we let up in terms of, uh, you know, uh, appealing for, for, for more equality and, and diversity, we take five steps back and enough mm -hmm. is enough. I'm tired. I know I'm tired. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels that way. But at the end of the day, there's a, there's a generation that's coming after us that needs to see a better world. And the, the, the generation that exists right, exists right now, we deserve a better world. So we gotta keep, we gotta keep pushing in that respect. Absolutely. Do you guys see any fun talks about hurting bigots? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I wrote it on Wolfenstein the other day. It was very, it was very specific. Nice. Um, if you want yeah. to read about that talk, you can find a write-up uh, by Alex on Gamasutra.com. <laughs> Promotion. Oh, <yeah. laughs> nice one. We do work for Gamasutra.com, don't we? A website uh, with a name. Yeah. Um, I do. We didn't really talk too much. We have a little bit of time left, like four four minutes. Uh, I'm wondering, like, working with, like, I mentioned right at the beginning that you work with these big companies, some of them large publishers. Uh, what do you get from those? Like, when, uh, when you're consulting with them, are you kind of, like, surprised at uh, the culture? Or are you, um, you, you know, are they usually receptive? Uh, how does that usually go for you? I, th I, think, it, I think it certainly varies. Mm -hmm. um, I think... If I have to be honest, I think I think companies, it's not that they're receptive, it's, a, it's that they're somewhat apprehensive. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, like, for example, personally, I don't identify as having a disability. Um, and, I, and I like to make that clear when I talk about the community, because I always say, like, you know, I speak about their needs and the community as opposed to mm -hmm. me. So I'm not I don't necessarily identify as being part of that community. But even myself, it took me a long time to get comfortable with asking questions that ultimately serve the knowledge that I'll need to have in order to, to benefit the community that I want to help. And I think at least with the companies I've worked with, I can't speak with, for, for, for every company out there, but at least the companies I've had, uh, you know, the, the pleasure of working with, it's more so that it's, it's, it's a, it's a lack of knowledge, um, you know, that, that really makes creates sort of apprehension. Hmm. Um, and to that, we try to offer a safe space where you can ask questions um, about the community um, to, to further inform yourself. Cause ultimately, 
like asking questions with respect, obviously, you know, we're not talking about like, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, rude or, or bigoted in, in how you address um, the community, but, you know, asking questions about the experiences that we try to, we try to share um, with these com- companies in order to, to improve their approaches to accessibility. Uh, in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, common questions we might get, you got a lot of questions about like, you know, what should I do first from an accessibility standpoint? And like, that's, that's a tough question to answer. I can say from the players that we've polled for the players that we've talked to in player panels that oh, a lot of the great. people um, ask for things like key remapping. A lot of people ask for, uh, you know, uh, proper subtitling that includes uh, increasing text size. That means, or decreasing text size if you need to, or turning it off completely, uh, having backgrounds uh, for those subtitles, uh, being able to change the color of both the text and the background to match what you want from a contrasting standpoint, uh, including the speaker name as well. If there's mm-hmm. multiple speakers um, speaking in a game, um, we see a lot about recoloring. So colorblind options, uh, being able to turn off sort of the the, uh, the background noise that might be coming from a game or flashes that might be coming from a game. Um, we also see a lot about, you know, timed, uh, timed actions. Mm-hmm. So things that, you know, require you to have Quick reflexes, quick reflexes, uh, QTEs being a big one, uh, quick time <laughs> events. Um, so it, it kind of varies, and and ultimately, you know, um, I'd say start somewhere and continue to iterate from that respect. But I, we we get we get a lot of questions. It's hard to think of them right now. We yeah. definitely get a lot of questions in that regard. No, and um, you know we've got like seventeen seconds left. <laughs> I'm watching so. the timer go down. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, but uh, you know. People can probably go to what resources, what website, you know, ablegamers.org. All right, let's make this quick. Ablegamers.org, accessible.games. Follow us on Twitter at ablegamers. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Greg J. Hazy, Jason Jaguar. And um, go to ablegamers.org slash dpad if you're a developer and you come from a marginalized background and you want to learn about accessibility. Amazing. Amazing.